Hi, welcome back. On this week's flight, we'll be heading to the Caribbean island of Dominica, where Ben Sharoni and myself, Max Gorin, will get a chance to talk to the one and only Navy. Join our conversation to hear about some of Navy's untold stories and how they tie into her life. You're probably wondering why our main destination is Dominica, while the zip code for this episode is in Miami. Well, you'll just have to stick around to hear why. Because right now, it's 8.30 somewhere. Brought to you by Base Base. And maybe we'll kick off with what kind of music you're doing. Because, I mean, for the listeners who are not familiar with your music, uh, who are just hearing your voice for the first time, if you could describe the kind of music you're doing. Okay. So I'm Navy, as we know, and I'm from the Caribbean island of Dominica. Um, I'm currently signed to a label in Barbados. And traveling back and forth from island to island, you get so many different influences and accents and ways of life and stuff like that. The type of music that I do is, is basically fusions. It's heavily influenced by so many genres. Because growing up in the Caribbean, you have music that is native to your island. And um, you have a style of music as well that is native to your island. But you also have a radio culture where any given day of the week, um, your parents or your grandparents, whoever you grew up with, have the radio on. And it's either the 60s or the 70s or it's Country Music Sunday or it's Soca Saturday. So you have all this musical information just coming in. And when I started writing and singing, I noticed that I had the urge to switch back and forth from one to the other, but in one song. So you would hear me on the sweetest R&B beat, but I'm actually doing some island dance hall sort of influenced reggae, Caribbean vibe on it, like in my release one shot. So I don't even know if there's a name for my music. I just call it <laughs> fusions. It's really heavily influenced by everything that I was exposed to. How come the, the radio in Dominica is so diverse? Um, is there a reason you, you can think of? I think because um, as a small island, or I guess just as an island, we are used to our way of life. So we have our local music playing on the radio. It's usually Kada Slipso or Zuko Compa, which is um, Creole influence. We speak Creole in Dominica. It's a language of our own. And... Um, I think we are interested in the outside cultures, just like I guess most other places we are very keen on looking at what's going on in America or in the UK or in Africa. So you have, you know, the big stars, you're, you're, you're going to hear a Biggie and a Tupac on the radio, followed by, I don't know, probably some Willie Nelson, just very random, very <laughs> random playlist. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of music. So we tend to really try to keep up with the outside world, even in our dressing. Well, these days, you know, we've, we have the fashion being, being trickled down and, you know, we look to that in hairstyles and trending makeup and stuff like that. But we're always going to bounce back to the local music and the, the native language of the island. I think that comes across also a lot in uh, the way you dress in your music videos. You yeah. you have the the like very Western clothes, but like with the jewelry and everything, it's mm -hmm. uh, it feels like a like a fusion. 
It is. Um, my team, Pretty Boy, and my A&R, um, Trevor Pretty, he's very keen on keeping what is true to us as artists. I remember when I first um, met him, it was at the writing camp in November. I met Trevor and Paul. And um, I was coming from a totally different career. I was a whole artist before this. That's that's a whole other interview. Um, <laughs> These are the I guys was, from your collective? Uh, no, I, I was working with a French label. So I actually sang in French. I was under a different name. I have mm. millions of views on YouTube. It's very, very crazy. Um, wow. Very. But coming from that and going into Pretty Boy, I remember sitting down and Trevor was like, Okay, so what's your what's your portfolio? What what are you trying to do? What what type of artist are you trying to be? What is it that you want people to identify you as? What is your what's your vibe? What's your style? What's your you know? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I know. <laughs> just <laughs> I, just give me a beat. Let me write a song. And he's like, it's not that simple because when you put yourself out there, people are gonna identify you as what they see. So he's like, how do you dress? Do you do you want to be, do you want to be skimpy? Do you want to what? What is your personality? So after getting to know me for two to three weeks, he's like, I think I think I see what you are because we would have conversations of music and stuff, and he's like, this is amazing. Like, how do you know this type of music? And I'm like, it's my dad. So <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, okay, let's bring your personality out in your dressing. In, in, in the way that you carry yourself and the way that you speak and the way that you, even your hair and your nails. So he's very keen on keeping your identity true in your music because he's like, if you be fake and if you be somebody else, you can't keep that up. It's, it's going to show eventually that you are not being your true self. So they're very keen on correct and true image. So it's easy for that to come out wherever you are, whatever you're doing. So authenticity is, is important for you in your creation. It is, it is, because um, coming from the Caribbean, you know, we, well, I guess, how should I say, whatever part of the world you're from, you're going to carry that ID with you in your accent, in the things that you eat or the things that you identify with. So me being from Dominica, I randomly speak in Creole and forget that nobody's understanding me because I'm not around, Dom <laughs> I'm not around Dominicans anymore, you know? So little things like that, he's like, yo, this is what the world needs to see. The world needs to see you in your true self, like the language and the dressing and the culture and what I call certain foods, even if it's known as something else or prepared a different way somewhere else. So it's, it's, it's key. It is top of the line, really. So far, we, I, I mean, at least me, maybe Max heard other stuff. I, I heard only music in English. Are, we, are you planning on releasing music in... Creole? Yeah. I, I do. I do have... You see, with me, it's very subtle. Um, I think I should explain what Creole is, though. Creole is a language that was created by the slaves on Caribbean islands. We had slaves from different tribes in Africa, and Africa has over 200 languages, if I'm right. Um, so you had slaves from different tribes all bunched up together. They couldn't understand each other and they couldn't understand their colonizers. And in that time, you had wars between France and Europe and Spain and well, France, England and Spain. Sorry. So every like probably six months or something like that, these slaves on these islands would have different masters speaking different languages. So these guys were like, look, we just going to create our own language understand each other let's let's do this so creole came about 
And it's really on my island, it's, um, it's broken French. If you listen to it you're, and you speak French, you're going to pick up on keywords. It's broken French. It's, there's English, there's African and Spanish words all bunched up in there. And um, it's spoken in Dominica, in St. Lucia, in Martinique, in Guadeloupe, in Haiti. It's the official language of Haiti. In Mauritius Island, in Reunion Island. And it's also in some parts of Louisiana and New Orleans. Because exactly, exactly. Because Haitian slaves were, were being transported to those countries. So if, for example, I in my song Patra, I have a Creole word in there and nobody knows because it sounds like English. I said it would move ma. Move ma is actually movement. If you're French, you're going to ah. pick up, I said move ma. So I have very subtle Creole words already in my songs, but I plan on bringing it out more. I have a couple of releases coming up with a whole Creole chorus and a whole Creole verse where I do the verse in Creole and then I do the English translation directly behind it. So like fans can pick up on what's actually being said. And I did it in a in a really old African style. So it sounds like a chant. It sounds like I'm casting some sort of spell. And my team was like, yo, 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 explain <laughs> what this shit mean. What, what are you saying? What are you doing? <laughs> it was so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, I mean, ironically, it sounds international in, in some sense. I mean, uh, it's very local, but... It is. It's like multinational. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very local, mm-hmm. but then again, it just incorporates Spanish and French, as you said. So, it's I mean, so a lot crazy. of people could... It's so crazy. And I like, honestly, it's sad because in Dominica, Creole is a dying language. Like I said, we are heavily influenced by America and London and young people today. They're like, Creole? Oh, I don't speak that. That's, that's, a, that's my grandmother, them language. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, this is your identity. You could literally go to several parts of the world and communicate with people who speak that same language. Like, it's, it's really crazy because in St. Lucia, they speak it more than English. I'm like, we need to revamp the language in Dominica because it's so important. There's so much history and so much power in being able to speak a foreign language. It's, it's, I don't think they understand. What language do they speak at school in Dominica? English is the first language. We speak English. But mm-hmm. like right now, I'm speaking to you and you're understanding because I'm speaking proper English. But if I were to speak, <laughs> if I were to speak Dominican English, I don't think you'd be able to pick up too much on really on what I'm saying because of the accent and how fast we speak. And we also we also mix Creole words with English. It's so crazy. For example, to speak in Creole is parler, like in French, parler, you speak. Mm-hmm. But we in Dominica, because we're more English, we would say parleying. Ing is something like talking uh. or singing, <laughs> but we'd say parleying, you know? So you come into Dominica and I say, oh, I parleying, you'd be like, huh? What, what is she, <laughs> huh? You understand? So we speak English, but um, there are parts of the island where children would speak Creole before they learn to speak English, because that's in the countryside where that language is still very, very strong. Do you feel like uh, Creole is a major part of uh, Dominican identity? It is. It is. It is. It, it's, it's what allowed us to be independent today. It's what, allowed us to, it's what allowed me to be who I am today. If Creole wasn't invented, then... I don't know. To me, it was so genius for like several different slaves from several different tribes to come together and be like, look, we need to understand each other. We need to understand them. Let's 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 create this crazy language. Like, is 
to me I'm, I'm i'm getting goosebumps it's so it's so what do you call it representative of human will to survive you adapt they adapted by creating this language and it has been passed down through yeah. the generations and i really think it should be like a badge of honor that all dominicans wear like if i would go to london for example when i was in london i did hear this guy speaking creole and i'm like you dominican he's like no saint lucia and i'm like okay <laughs> you know it was so crazy it was like it makes me feel connected to some sort of source or to some sort of little secret group and we just got a little thing going on you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean definitely language has I mean, that's the way we see the world mm -hmm. in, and that's the way we understand mm -hmm. not only other people, but we divide, like we sort of perceive stuff um, through the language we, we use. Uh, there's a very, I don't know if it's a myth or not, but that Eskimos have like 40 words for snow, um, 40 different concepts of snow. So That's crazy. I mean, it says a lot in, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a myth or not. Yeah, I think it's true. Yeah, I don't know about 40, but. Yeah, yeah, like a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need to read up on that. I, I, I will. I will Google that. <laughs> what we understand. I mean, we're desert people uh, living in Israel, so mm -hmm. definitely we, we, when we see snow, it's just like this one uh, wow. humongous thing. <laughs> it's actually but, interesting uh, the way you speak about Creole. It's sort of like Yiddish for for us for uh, Ashkenazi Jews mm. uh, living in Israel. It we also have we have Yiddish. Uh, my grandparents used to speak Yiddish, uh, and I don't know. I don't know Yiddish. My dad knows a little bit, and it kind of died out. And it was our language in uh, in Eastern Europe when I we see. when my great grandparents lived there, and uh, and it's also sort of dying out. I see. No, well, you 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 need to learn it, man. Go take some some classes <laughs> or something. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned. I mean. Talking about language, I was thinking about the fact that you mentioned a writing camp and a different career, um, which kind of raised a lot of question marks uh, <laughs> for me. There's a lot to unpack there, I feel. Not really. It's just that <laughs> Dominica is located between Martinique and Guadeloupe. And those are two modern day French colonies. They are Caribbean islands, but they are under France. So this, the people born on these islands carry French passports. They are French citizens and they speak French. And because the islands are so close to Dominica, um, most, well, I wouldn't say most, but in my case, the first island that I went to was Martinique. And um, there's a lot of trade going on back and forth. There's a lot of, you know, I guess I should say marriages going on between the French people and the Dominican people. So the type of music that they do there is called Zouk. They have Zouk and Compa and... Um, Kada Slipso is from Dominica, but it did trickle over. So when I was looking for opportunities to do music, because I always wanted to do music, um, and my island presented none, is because we're so small. We have, if we have 70,000 people on the island, it's a lot. Um, I don't think we have more than that. And um, we were sort of, some things were unheard of. So yes, we would do our native music, have it play on the radio, have our shows, but to really cross over and to get into like an international music scene, it seemed like a dream really. And uh, Martinique and Guadeloupe were the closest countries for me. So I migrated. I traveled to Martinique where I, um, I got music hookups and um, I was working with these guys since 2015. 
And um, I did this one song where I speak both, where I sing both in English and French. And um, I remember we released that song in 2017 and I was still on a cruise ship. I released the song and they're like, yo, there's this really big French artist who wants to feature you. So we did the remix and we released it in September uh, 2017. And before I knew it, I was getting all these calls and they're like, yo, check your views on YouTube. And in in probably a month, we were at, I don't know, 300,000 views. And I was shocked wow. because I would release, you know, little videos and stuff back home and it would be 10K. <laughs> if, if I'm lucky, I would get 10K because like the average Dominican would listen to the radio and not go on YouTube, you know. So we didn't have Spotify. We don't, we don't have... Um, Apple Music, Instagram Music is still unavailable in Dominica. So people tag me in my own songs today as Navy. And I go to try to repost and they're like, sorry, you can't do that. Instagram Music isn't available for you. Like, okay. Um, wow. I know. <laughs> so traveled into that country, we released that song. And the song blew up. It like, it blew up so far within, probably within four months. I had my first million views on a video. Wow. And I was on a I was on a ship just looking like oh what is going on like and so my Instagram exploded. I went from I think 4000 followers to like 16000 in in maybe 2 weeks. It was I was so overwhelmed. I'm like what is going on? And as soon as I stepped off of that ship, I had so many shows lined up for that one song. Today it's on 20 million views. So for me, it was necessary because I got used to, I experienced that that feeling of people, of me just standing on a stage and literally singing the first line and the crowd taking over. I don't have to sing anymore because they're singing the song. <laughs> and that sort of nostalgia, you know, being on a stage and singing an original composition where people, there are people in the crowd waving and, and dancing. I'm like, yo, this is me, you know? So, <laughs> um it was a good run. I literally had four or five releases with them. They, they're all in the millions of views. Um, I had countless wow. shows. My Instagram is right now up to, it was 24,000 before Pretty Boy. So it's almost 26,000 right now. Um, so it kept growing. I kept becoming more popular. But I was singing in French, which is not my native language. I had to learn French. So I do speak French fluently enough. Um, and I got a lot of resistance because they're like, this isn't your music. Why is she so successful and this isn't her music? And I'm like, there's no such thing as my music. There's, there's Caribbean. It's Caribbean. You know, I could do a reggae song if I want to because Jamaica is part of the Caribbean. Like, it, there's, there's no yeah. limit as to what you as an artist want to do. So after that, um, that contract came to an end and... Pretty Boy was like, yo, this is good. This is good. You already have that experience, but what do you really want to do? And I'm like, I want to sing in English because <laughs> English is my first language. They're like, well, let's do that. And it was a hard switch because I changed my name. I changed my image. I changed the type of music that I was doing. I literally started from zero, but I'm the type of person who takes risks if my heart and my head tells me to do it. So I'm like, let's, let's, let's do it. And I got so many warnings. They're like, don't do this. You're going to kill your career. You don't restart. I'm like, <laughs> I know in my heart of hearts, this is what I have to do. All right, now we have Navy and Navy doing her thing. So let's do this. <laughs> how, was, how was this shift? I mean, it sounds very scary. Um, how was it feeling like back then? 
Um, it may sound very scary, but shifts for me are normal, I guess, and natural. I don't know if you guys believe in astrology or anything like that, but I pay a lot of attention to my sign and I'm a Sag. I'm a December born. And if you look at all the information in the world on Sagittarians, we cannot sit still for too long. We're going to keep <laughs> trying to find new things to reignite that fire. So when I first... um started singing like really first started singing back in dominica i was a primary school teacher so i would be correcting papers by day and trying to record songs by night and um, i did that for quite a while and when the cruise ship opportunity came up i quit my job and people were like are you crazy like you have a stable job like you're gonna you're gonna fail and i'm like well i never know until i try so i left the cruise ship i left teaching sorry to go work on cruise ships which i did for five years and then when that French song blew up, I left the cruise ship to go do my French career, to go travel to France and to Mauritius Island, to Reunion Island, um, to Martinique, to Guadeloupe, to French Guyana, to go perform that song. And then I left my French career to begin as Navy. So it's, it's I mean, the more you do it, the less scary it gets. I'm like, ah, I could either win or I could either fail. And failure depends on what I see it as, so... But I just wow. get this feeling. I know when I know when I should give something a shot. I know when I should try. Like I just feel that the talent is with me. I feel that no matter what or who I present myself as, I'm going to be presenting good music. So it might be a new set of fans, but there are going to be fans. There are going to be people that that music caters to. Oh my God, there's so many questions I want to ask, but I think Max has his, has his finger on the trigger here. <laughs> uh, no, I just wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to go back to the cruise ship because uh, okay. the zip code you chose for the show, for the title of the show, was uh, 33167, which is in Miami, Florida, mm -hmm. uh, which is an, an unusual choice for for you because you're from Dominica. I am from Dominica, yeah. So tell us about that choice. I chose Miami, Florida because it was where my first, um, well, not my first, but where one of my cruise ships docked. A cruise ship docks in an area every, well, some do seven days, some do five days, but you take on, you, you let off the guests that you've had and you take on new guests. And I was already singing and stuff back in Dominica, but honest to God, honest to say that Dominica is a very tough crowd. Um, only a type of music moves the average Dominican. You may have people who branch out and people who really come to listen to the type of music that you're doing. But as a whole, there's a certain type of rhythm or beat that moves Dominicans. And I never wanted to do that type of music. So I never saw myself being a big star in Dominica. I was weird. My music was strange to them. So Miami is where my cruise ship docked. And I remember having a really tough time because being a singer on a cruise ship, I was in a Caribbean band. It's really hard. I didn't have any help as a singer. I was the only one. And I would have to sing four, sometimes five hours every night. Every single night. Oh. I had to dress up, show up, and sing. I would do Tina Turner tributes. I would do Aretha Franklin <laughs> tributes, Stevie Wonder. And those are not easy songs. Um, and I would have to talk to the guests. And so after about a month and a half, my voice was totally deteriorated. And um, the cruise ship is air-conditioned all the time. I had to move from the cold ship outside to the pool deck in the hot sun and come back in. It was really, really crazy. Like, if you're not seasoned on a cruise ship, you are going to suffer your first two contracts, as a singer anyway. And um, I remember this one night 
where I was really badly off. I had no voice. I was miserable. I stepped on stage and I sang my song. I'm like, Jesus Christ, they're about to fire me because this is terrible. And I remember the crowd like standing up and clapping. And I'm looking at them like, y'all serious? Like, that was so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, like your voice is so beautiful. And this one little, well, I guess it wasn't, okay, a little old lady. <laughs> she walked up to me and she's like, why are you on a ship? Oh my God, you should be in a stadium. And I'm like, this is so different. Wow. Like these are people who actually come to listen to a singer sing. These are people who tell you about your voice or your tone, or they tell you, oh my God, you're doing Aretha Franklin. She's so hard to sing. This is amazing. Or I would have couples standing up and dancing. And when I'm done with a, with, with a certain song, they would be like, that was our wedding song. And you brought back so many memories. And it was an experience that I needed to understand that there's more than my tiny little island yeah. where I wasn't really accepted. Like, there's a place for you as a singer. So I remember every Miami, I would be excited because there's more people coming onto the ship, like five to 6,000 people. I was on a big ship. Wow. There's a new crowd coming in and I know I'm going to find somebody interesting. Or There was this one time I sang, I cannot remember what song it was, this one time that I sang this song and there was this guy this guy just came up to the front of the stage and just folded his arms just looking at me and i'm like well this is weird but he had <laughs> he didn't have a smile or anything on his face he was so serious just staring at me and i sang the song and when i was done he was like do you like that song i'm like yeah it's one of my favorite songs he's like i've never heard anybody sing a song i wrote so well I'm like, what? you wrote the song. Whoa. He's like, Google me. And I Googled again. He actually did write the song. Whoa. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. So Christian for me was really... What a compliment. I am telling you, um, I, I was like, you never know. And that t also taught me, you never know who is in your crowd. Because there was this other time where this guy was really getting me angry. I was singing and he would keep asking me for special requests. And they were really hard songs. I'm like, sir, do you, do you really want that song? He's like, yeah, sing it, sing it. And he just kept finding issues. He kept saying, why don't you stand up? You know, stand up to sing. And then he was like, um, um, go do this or go. And I was so angry, but I knew better. Like, you have to please the guests. So, <laughs> you know, he really got me angry for my 45 minutes set. He was on my case. And when I was done... He was like, hi, I'm, I'm like the, the CEO of the cruise ship company. I'm like, holy shit, I was about to cuss this man. <laughs> I was about to cuss this man. <laughs> so that taught me you never know who is in your crowd, which carried over into my French career and into me being Navy right now. Like you never know who is looking at you. So I've learned to be diplomatic all the time, no matter how hard it is. I've learned to ignore negative yeah. comments on youtube or on facebook i've learned to just be like you're not everybody's cup of tea and just vibe with those who like you you know and people are gonna have their opinions and that's fine definitely important in our times where everyone has, a, has an opinion has, has a computer <laughs> or a phone and they're gonna share that opinion in in the guise of social media you know yeah definitely maybe just dialing it back a bit <laughs> from the cruise ship you were talking about being a primary school teacher yeah. did you always wanted to to be a, a school teacher um not really i was fresh from high school and um 
the financial situation back home wasn't the best because I have a brother with a heart condition and the island is not equipped for serious conditions like mm. that. So we had to get him to the U.S. And one U.S. dollar in my currency is $2.67. So you already know we had to double yeah. that money to try to get him out of the island. So as soon as I was done high school, I went job hunting and I actually started at a, as a doctor's secretary. Um, I would just come home and give my entire salary to my mom because her entire salary would go into medical bills. And um, my little brother was attending school at that time. And my mom is flipping through his book and she's like, you haven't had French um, classes in over two months. And he's like, yeah, we don't have a French teacher. And my mom is, my mom looked at me, she's like, get dressed. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I got dressed and we actually visited the school because all my brothers had gone to that school. I have three brothers and they all went to that school. And um, she's like, hi, um, Miss Principal. I noticed my son isn't getting any French classes. My daughter speaks fluent French. And she's like, okay, send in your application and let's see what we can do. So I did send in my application and I didn't have any qualifications, but I did fluently speak the language. And um, she's like, okay, there's actually a program where you can get certified in the language. So while I was teaching, I was actually doing like classes to get certified. And um, I remember being, you know, being a little scared because children can be so intimidating. And it was an all boys Catholic school. And I had like, <laughs> I had to teach the whole school French actually. So I had each grade level and... Um, I remember it being so crazy because like the classes were so huge. I had 38 to 40 students in a class and I'm the only teacher and they're all little boys. And after five minutes, they zoom out. They don't listen to you no more and they're causing chaos. <laughs> so that really caused me to go into my creative side and I would create little games and stuff that would really keep them occupied. And then I ended up teaching for a long time, probably like five years or something like that. And then... After that, my spirit was like, yo, you're about to be stuck here if you don't make a move now. Because it became redundant. I love my boys. I love my students. Coming back to the island now and walking on the streets, I have these really tall, grown men with big voices like, hey, teacher, what's up? I'm like, oh, my God. How old are you now? What's going on? <laughs> they are grown. Because so, I was young. I was like 16. And there were wow. already some students in the higher grades who were like, 12 and 13 so i'm actually not that far yeah. from them and it's so crazy like they still they still love me they still respect me they're like yo you're doing music now we're looking we're listening sure. i think teaching was an absolutely necessary part of my journey because it taught me patience and it taught me that children are children are your hardest critic because while teaching i also sang back on the island and they would come and tell me you know their parents were at my show last night and they like my outfit or don't ever wear that again <laughs> it was just <laughs> it was so crazy it was so crazy but i needed it i i think each part of my journey has prepared me for being navy cuz navy now has a worldwide audience that that i didn't have before and um i think that i'm well equipped now to deal with it and the way that pretty boy approaches things like I would literally just be sitting there and A&R would walk in and be like, so Navy, somebody ask you who you are as an artist, what are you going to say? And bam, bam, on the spot, I have to answer. And they'll be like, don't ever say yeah. that in an interview or let's fix that. Or that was a good answer. So I'm constantly <laughs> being trained. Um, I'm constantly being 
taught how to sit, how to carry myself. They're like, you never know who's going to be taking your picture. Like, always, Definitely. you know, sit a certain way or carry yourself a certain way. And it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Definitely. Though I love your approach for life, like the fact that you see it as a jigsaw just coming together and making like this perfect. I love your approach Thank for you. life. Was music always a thing you wanted to do um, going to? Yes. Um, my dad, my dad is a multi-instrumentalist by ear. Um, growing up, he would have his keyboard. He would play something on the keyboard. He would record that, put that to play back. He would run, go grab his guitar, play along to whatever he played on the keyboard. And sing. Wow. He would grab my violin. He is just so talented. I wish I had that. I don't. I tried to play guitar and it was a mess. I never tried again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was using a looper before that was a it, thing. It, it's so crazy. He had his little pedal. <laughs> he had it. It's so, it's so, and his keyboard is as old as I am. I was a baby when he got it and he still plays it today. So wow. it's like my mom put me in um, classical piano classes when I was about six or seven. I was also a brownie and a, and a rainbow and a girl guide and a boy scout. So I've just been very, very busy <laughs> in, in ways of music is discipline, boy scouts are dis- discipline, stuff like that. So I grew up around music. And I remember the first time that my piano teacher said, you can sing because we had, um, we had exams to sit. I sat my exams with the Royal Schools of Music from London. And there's a part in that exam where the teacher would play something and you had to sing along just to test your ear. And she said, wow, you can sing. You have a really nice voice. You should sing. And I started actually considering that. And um, I would write little tunes or melodies over a song because I didn't have a way to have an instrumental or, or anything like that. And my brother's like, are you singing your own thing to the people, their music? Like, what are you doing? That means you can write. Go write some songs. <laughs> So I had people in my life who recognized my talent very early on. I was also very shy. Um, so I didn't tackle it until I was about 18 or 19. I wish I had started earlier. I would write songs and keep them to myself. But my first big stage was probably at the age of 18. And um, I was stuck. I didn't move. I stood in the middle of that stage and I was glued to the ground. But I sang and people were like, yo, you have a good voice. So that gave me a push to really work on my craft and work on my personality, you know? Yeah. What kind of music you grew up on um, with your father being a multi-instrumentalist? Uh, he, well, he loves country music, so I knew quite a lot of country music. But then... Interesting. Yeah, he was also, he was also <laughs> tuned to VH1 a lot. And back in the days, the VH1, they called them the VH1 divas, but it was Shania Twain, Celine Dion... It was, um, who else was it? Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. So that was the type of music that I heard all the time. And as I grew up, you know, the music changed. Uh, there was a the little era where you had a lot of boy rock bands. I'm not sure if it's punk rock or alternative rock, rock bands. So you will catch me um, listening to Nirvana and to, um, what's the name of that band? I know the songs, but not... <laughs> Not the names <laughs> of the bands, like um, System of a Down, um, Linkin Park. Oh, wow. That that was my shit, yo. Some new metal. That was my shit. That Very was my diverse. shit. Yeah. And then um, he would also go back to Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie. My mom, if I put the radio on like a 60s or 70s playlist right now, my mom is going to sing every song. So even if I, at the time growing up, I'm like, what kind of boring thing is this? Shut off the radio. 
but <laughs> like it was played every day so it literally just got sunk into my subconscious and it became a part of me like right now in my music I actually like for example in one shot yeah. we sampled Dennis Williams because listening to these songs today I understand what these people were talking about and I'm so thankful for my parents like they gave me that background that I can relate to and go back and use and put in my own way. Um, but my my music at home was very, very dead. And then my brother came along with Tupac and Biggie. And my mom is, shut that <laughs> shit off. What are you listening to? <laughs> and I'm like, no, keep it playing. So I, I actually used to rap, which is so crazy. I used to rap. I, I literally used to be like beatboxing and battle rapping if my brother said, oh. Let's not get into wow. that. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about your mother talk, like listening to radio and I was like completely thrown off to the fact that you mentioned like a specific concept that I'm not sure I've heard before, like radio culture. Mm -hmm. um, could you maybe just define or like tell us a bit what it means in Dominica? I think because most people couldn't afford TVs back in the day. They were probably very expensive. Um, but everybody had their little transistor radio, you know, your little antenna. And you pick up on different radio stations. And some of them were so strong, we could pick up on radio stations from St. Lucia or Martinique or Guadeloupe, depending on where you are in the island. So, um, you know, people would be working in their vegetable gardens or they would be doing their little jobs. And there would always be a radio on, either listening to news or to the music or to some sort of like a broadcast from London or from the USA. Um, when you, I mean, as the, as time passed by and the island got modernized, you had YouTube, but you had the TV and you had channels like BET. I remember looking at 106 and Park, looking at VH1, MTV, stuff like that. But, um, my parents and my grandparents and, and I guess parents today don't do that. They will go to YouTube, but before it was the radio and you would choose a favorite station and just listen to whatever is being played. Um, And it's not just in Dominica, it's a Caribbean thing because meeting Trevor and really? Paul in Barbados and talking about it, they're like, you're talking about my childhood and we're not the same age, you know? <laughs> so it's really a Caribbean thing to have your little radio. Some people carry it in their pockets or in their bags. You actually see them holding a radio up to their ears, walking to and from work, just listening to music and stuff like that. And I guess I'm old school, so I still keep that tradition. I have a radio app on all of my devices. Um, I like to hear what it is that that's considered good music today or I just like to go back to the old school um, the vibe or you know the genre playlist whatever they're listening to maybe for inspiration maybe just because I want to detach from my own music sometimes I want to just listen yeah. to what else is out there you know but um, it's very common it used to be very common in the Caribbean a radio culture everybody had a radio um, so One thing I was reading a bit about Dominica as well, um, about the history and the whole, I mean, not everything mm -hmm. for sure, but probably like uh, main points. Um, one thing I've noticed is that Dominica had a female prime minister for three consecutive terms um, during the 90s. And I was wondering like how, how does Dominica look like um, socially, I guess, um, the role of females within, the, within society. Um, of course, you had your experience as, You were saying like in London, mm -hmm. the States, other other different communities mm -hmm. and societies and just like trying to reflect back on Dominica, like did you see any differences in that sense? Um, our first female prime minister was the definition of a boss. 
Um, <laughs> she was she was sort of from a privileged family. I think she was also the first female lawyer on island or from the island. Um, she studied law. She became she was very successful. She was very smart, very well spoken. And I think I'm not. I don't want to give all the wrong information, but I think they used to call her the Iron Lady because when she decided upon something, you could not bend or break her. She would be like, "This is it, and nobody's going to tell me any different." So when she became the prime minister, I remember having to do high school projects or stuff like that on her, and she was very, very stern, and she believed in certain things into moving the island forward, you know. And that's somebody that. I didn't. I guess I was too young to really see her in action or or to be there when she served. But um, I think it gave a different perspective. It 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 gave a sort of feeling like um, you know, women can do it too. And I guess that was a time where women were sort of looked at as you know, you go be a housewife, you go have a couple kids, you go clean or whatever it is they expected women to do back in the day. And she carried it so well because she was in her dresses and her skirts. But when she would take that mic <laughs> and when she would speak, it's like, yo, shut up and listen. This woman got stuff to say, you know. Um, the changes on the island, I think with time, women have become more independent and outspoken. And women have decided that, have decided what is right for them. You see women in yep. very unconventional jobs today, like, work in construction or driving taxis or stuff really? like that. Yeah. Um, they're more outspoken. I guess we've moved from a, from a culture where women see themselves in the home to actually being the breadwinners of a lot of families. Um, we have a lot less children on the island because women are like, I, I, I'm not about that life. I'm about getting my paper, building my house, studying, getting a degree, so we're a lot more educated on the island, although we have a brain drain because when people get qualified and stuff, they usually don't come back home because sometimes they study things that we've never heard about. Like, where are you going to get a biochemical lab on a small bushy island, <laughs> you know, for a biochemical engineer, stuff like that. But uh, me personally, I think that I don't know how to put it. We've, we've gone back to a lot of... Um, to a lot of male-dominated um, ruling on the island, um, the prime minister, the president. There are more women in politics, but I have, we have, we've never had another female prime minister. Um, I think it would be good to see more of that. I think the influential women on island are in either music or arts or dance. And um, I think their opinions are just as powerful as those in government or parliament or whatever you want to call it. Um, because they have fans and they have followers and they have influence over these people. So you more see that in the arts and the culture and in probably Dominicans who have gone overseas and they have a platform to really spread that type of message. But um, yeah, I don't think our female prime minister will ever be forgotten. She, she, left a, she left a legacy. She left, you know, something to be really thought about when we look at yeah. at trying to bring an island forward and... You know, no longer this small island thing. Dominica is known for its ecotourism. We are basically untouched. We have more trees than people, to tell the truth. We have, <laughs> <laughs> we have rivers and boiling lakes and sulfur springs. We have nine out of probably the 15 or 16 volcanoes in the entire Caribbean, and they're all active. 
Wow. We are just a boiling pot, but um, we use that as a tourist attraction. You know, we have waterfalls and lakes, rivers, beaches. We have hot springs that are loaded with sulfur that people use for healing. If you have like a, a, a leg ache or something, you go soak in the sulfur spring for two hours and I can guarantee you, you're going to be hopping and skipping in no time. It's very healing, <laughs> stuff like that. So... I guess we have and to stick done. to that. I just, I just bought a ticket. <laughs> you did? Please, please do. Please do. <laughs> it sounds amazing. It is. It is a very beautiful island. It's a very beautiful island. And I think me right now being Navy and having that international reach, I really want to be a, a, a tool, a very instrumental tool in mm. bringing people to the island because we have so sure. much to offer. What, what is Navy? Where did you come up with that name? Navy, well, it was a switch from my first artist's name, and um, it was sort of like a reflection on my personality. Which was? I used to be, well, my real name is Melinda. I used Mm. to be Mel, just a short form of my name. (laughs) But um, it was really looking at my personality with pretty boys sitting down and getting to know me. And and like A&R would be like, uh, we need you to be ready at that time to do this, do that. And I would be ready. I would be on point. They're like, yo, you are so... You're so militant. You're so disciplined. You're on it, <laughs> you know? And then having working on the cruise ships, I, I'm a seafarer, basically. So they're like, okay, Navy sounds good because that's that's who you are. I, I, I guess you could say I'm... How do I put it? I don't want to say that I'm too rigid, but I'm very serious when it comes to, to my work. Um, I will be ready half an hour before you need me to be ready, you know? I will... Stay up all night to get that song or to get that chorus that you need from me. I will get it done and I'll get it done right. I don't play around when it comes to my Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't play around because even if I'm doing well now, I appreciate that. But there are so many artists and because of the internet and social media, there's so much coming at you. There's a new artist every day, you know. So I'm like, I have to do what I have to do in order to keep my momentum and to ensure my success because I've been working too hard and too long for it. You're talking about, like you're mentioning a lot, Pretty Boy, which I guess is the label behind mm-hmm, you. Right now. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like they have a significant role in the kind of music you're doing now and the places you want to get mm-hmm. to. And the reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do. They um, do. Because A&R used to be a professional dancer. He has worked with everybody you can think of from Jennifer Lopez all the way down. Um, so he, he wow. knew the industry really. And that's why when he started asking me those questions... I'm like, I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. I just know that I want to sing. I want to write songs. I want to have very visual and very, you know, specific videos. And um, he would have a long talks with us and tell us the industry, you know, you think it's a bed of roses, but it's not. You might be hungry and tired and you have six interviews to do. You got to put a smile on your face. You may not want to go to a certain place or do or do a certain appearance and you have to do it because your your fans require that interaction from you, you know. So they really know what they're talking about. And um, us being from the Caribbean, I guess me being from a small island and never having that experience, it was important for me to be schooled on that. Because there were a couple of days I'm yep. like, yo, I ain't doing this shit no more. This is crazy. It's three o'clock in the morning. It's freezing. And you want me to do what? No. <laughs> And they're like, well, this life chose you and you accepted it. So let's go, get dressed, let's go, let's do this. So they're really the driving force behind me holding on so strong because it can get crazy. Yeah. It can get really, really crazy. 
And um, one thing I appreciate with them is that they preserve my personality. Um, they respect their artists. They don't go trying to change you into somebody that you're not. You will never see me being dressed or portrayed in a certain way because it's not who I am. There's nothing forced. They just take who you are and they amplify that through your music and your videos. Sounds like the perfect background for you to grow as a musician. It is. Um, any specific project you're working on? Oh, now? I have so many songs because uh, 2020, I went to London for label meetings. Um, I had a few good songs. Taste of Pluto as well, my collective, we had a few good songs. And a and I was like, okay, I can take these to label meetings. That should be enough, you know, for labels to listen to and decide whether or not they want to work with you. And we went, and I remember, like, we were only three meetings in, and the lockdown happened. So we were trapped in London from March <laughs> all the way to August. Um, wow. So we usually travel with our team. We travel with um, hair and makeup. We travel with a seamstress. We travel with our producers and the artists. So we had producers living with us in-house. And Aaron, I was like, well... Nothing to do now but to make some good music. And we did. We made we did <laughs> we did so many songs. Um and besides being a part of the collective, there were things that were really specific to me that I worked on anyway. So when I presented them, they're like, Navy, you just may have a solo project here because you have so many good songs. Um I have I have so much because the way that I write is weird. Sometimes I can be on a block for about a month. Um, and other times I can give you five to six songs in a night. So in a week, you literally have like 20 songs from me. So <laughs> I have a lot of recorded songs, recorded, uh, mixed and mastered. And we just came from this crazy stint in St. Martin where I did like six videos. Um, so Whoa. there's a lot, there's a lot coming out. There's a lot coming out. It's just to put a, just to pick a proper time to, um, to release those. Is it going to be an EP or, uh, an album? An EP. The first one is an EP. Um, the album is almost done, but as I am going through life and getting into different things, like the things that I listen to or the things that I do, my experiences, my writing has changed. So I gave A&R the problem of putting together, a, what do they call it? A, like a well-gelled body of work. Because you can hear the difference in some of my songs. Some of them I'm just vibing. Yeah. Some of them I'm really talking about serious things or an experience. Some of them are really sad. Some of them are really happy. So they don't want to just throw songs together. They really want it to be like, yeah. this is an era of my life. Yeah. So because I present new songs all the time, they're like, we love this. What do we do with it? You know, like, where do we put it? So <laughs> just to get it together. I think I have two EPs and... Probably two albums by now with all those songs. Um, do you think there's anything we haven't asked that you want to um, maybe add or mm. talk about? I think I covered, you know, <laughs> where I started in music, what I'm doing now, plans for the future. Plans for the future would just be to, to get to perform, to get to sure. meet some of my <laughs> fans. Right now we're doing the virtual thing, you know, live performances on the internet and stuff like yeah. that. But I, Where was the last place you performed before Perform live? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's difficult because I we do private showcases all the time. So uh, I did one in St. Martin, but it's really a private showcase. Cool. We would fly labels in to check out the artists. And so it's not a public event at all. Nobody knows mm. what's going on. It's yeah. just the labels and the fashion reps and the A&Rs and stuff to come look at the artists and say, okay, I like this artist or, you know, this isn't what we're looking for. 
stuff like that. But I really want to interact with my fans on a different level. I have a lot of reach coming in from Brazil, from New Zealand, from Japan. I get so many dance videos wow. on my songs from these countries. I get a lot of tags on Instagram. My TikTok is going crazy. So I want to have the chance to revisit those countries <laughs> as Navy and, you know, just just grow my fan base. Just let people know who I am, promote my island, promote my label, promote the Caribbean. Let people understand that the Caribbean is not Jamaica. <laughs> there are so many islands yeah. in the Caribbean. There's so many languages, <laughs> so much culture, so much food, so much dancing, so much history. I really want to be the one to just open people's eyes about that. Sounds like a great way to put it all and sum it all up. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This was great. It was fascinating. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Me, 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 me. All right, that's all for this one. As always, this episode of 830 Somewhere was brought to you by Bassbase, your favorite international platform for music-related content. Thank you so much for listening. As an independent platform, we would highly appreciate any kind of support. So if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media, where you can share your thoughts and comments about this episode. Big shout out to everyone behind this episode. Hosting by Ben Sharoni and Max Gorin. Editorial work by Ben Sharoni. Post-production by Max Gorin. Coordination by David Buraniste. Booking by Sophia Reiners. Music and sound effects by Max Gorin and Hackmack. Artwork by Yosha David. I hope you've enjoyed your flight and hope to see you soon, somewhere at 8.30.